there's absolutely no pressure on me at all after that introduction. God bless you. It's great to have you here on this cold Friday night. At least for us Texans, it's cold. It's great to be with you. It really is. And um, we've anticipated just a real intervention of the Holy Spirit. And we just thank each and every one of you that this is your home church. Thank you for your support. Those that are here from other fellowships, other even communities, welcome. Thank you so very, very much. And um, I want you very quickly to get out your uh, camera and your phone and take a quick photo because this is going to be the only time <laughs> this weekend you're going to see me dressed up. I, I really dressed up for a gag to raz, you know, Pastor Jim, but he isn't even here, you know, because I teased him several years ago. <clears throat> he came up with a pullover sweater, you know, vest sweater and a little bow tie, and, you know, he looked like Leave it to Beaver, you know, or... And so I razzed him mercilessly. And um, so I just thought, well, you know, I'll dress up real spiffy. And, but here's the thing. My wife's thrilled that I'm wearing this suit because she says, well, maybe it will work in your psyche a sense of, uh, how'd you word it? Dig dignifying element that has been missing in your life and ministry. And because all of you know, I just, I love to tease and I'm a mess. And so, but I've got this suit on, so I'm going to be proper and more dignified and preach like they used to do, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Can I hear an Amen. You know, see, I can do it. No. I don't think so. That's not me. But um, it's great to have you here. And I know that uh, Jim would like to be here, but he's making more money for himself. And, <laughs> so anyway, of course... I won't see any of it, you know, but, you know, it's for him. But anyway, I, I love these precious people. I love them. I, you know, they just, um, like many of you know, I, I saw him when he was in Bible college. I don't think you all met yet. Uh, you, you'd met, and he'd way over in the corner at the Assemblies of God, you know, central, the Mecca of the Assemblies of God, you know, center of Christianity. And so they invited Benny Hinn and myself to elaborate and teach on 
You remember many of you, many years ago, there was what was called renewal expressions. You don't know what I'm talking about, all three of you. You know, we went through a phase, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s where, you know, it was just Toronto blessing and shaking and everything else and this and that. And so the professors, I love it. You know, they do not like me. Um, invited me to expound on the renewal that was taking place. What they were doing was uh, getting fodder from me and Benny Hinn, then they could take it and teach against it. I'm s sad to have to say that. And so, you know, I was just, you know, Acts chapter 3, and I went through it for, you know, an hour and just taught them, and all the students were up there, and Jim, your pastor was over to the corner, I'll never forget, and he was on the edge, and he was just taking notes, and there's, I don't know how many students there were, and the professors were in the back doing this, staring me down. Well, <clears throat> I don't get intimidated, so it just made me I'd like to say a righteous indignation. No. It was, it was me. So I, I, I got feister and feistier. You know, I just, just, you know, they're throwing it in my face. You know, I, I figured it out. You know, why? And then Biddy Hen came the next night. <laughs> and so, um, so at the end, I said, just everybody stand up. Let's just lift our hands. They started hitting the chairs. Boom, 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 boom. All the students. Boom, 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 boom. Rolling. Rolling on the floor. And I didn't lay hands on anyone up to that point. They were all on the floor and everything like that. And these professors were just staring at me. And I remember looking at your husband, and he was getting into it. <laughs> like, this is it. You know, and then, and then he told me that it took six weeks afterwards for them to undo the mess you and Benny Hinn created <laughs> in two sessions. Yay, Lord. But anyway, <laughs> we love the Assemblies of God. <laughs> But anyway, um, my wife and I, by the way, this is my wife, Joy. Wait, not, not you, guys. Joy. Wait, wait, yeah, 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 wait, yeah, this, this, this. There you go, yeah, she, she's a descendant of uh, one of the nephews of Queen Elizabeth in England, the first. You know, go, go, go ahead. Just, yeah. So anyway, and then I have two of my associates, Robert Ward. Wave your hand. Oh, that's weak. He and his lovely wife live in Redding, California, the other Mecca of Christianity. And um, they, he's a Bethel graduate. And then we have Mr. Brandon Collins wave there. He was one of my students, he and his wife, when I was a professor at Christ for the Nations. And um, 
you know, I guess God got a hold of them, you know, after I cast the demon out of them. I mean, everything from then on, you know, he and his wife are just lovely. They live near Joe and I, and so uh, it's great to have them as associates. They travel with me. I have other associates, Dr. John Prettyan, the Armenian, always tease him. Now, you're not Armenian, you're Persian. The Persians conquered Armenia. Um, Armenian, you know, so we're, we're going back and forth over that one. But anyway, he wasn't able to make it. And then I've got another associate that lives in West Virginia. Hurricane, West Virginia. I mean, I had to look on the map. Is there such a city called Hurricane? Yes, there is. Anyway, uh, and then we've got one, and we do cover your prayers. We have an associate that lives in Botswana, and she was one of our students, and um, she is in critical condition right now. She has Epstein or Epstein-Barr syndrome. Her immunity system is compromised. There's every kind of virus, bacterial infection in Botswana. Uh, she, her her, um, she's only 40-something years of age. Her um, organs are beginning to shut down. So we do cover your prayers. If you feel like interceding and for her, please lift her up because she's a very endearing lady and she is in Botswana. She's white African and um, hmm? Erica is her name, Erica. Please pray for her because uh, she, is, she is on the cutting edge, the front lines, and her whole call and ministry basically is to bring healing to the HIV uh, people, particularly children. And she's seen countless healed. So, you know, just lift her up if you feel impressed of the Lord. Erica's her name. Uh, Joe and I, um, we met in 1975, I was 19. Yes, don't take my example or hers. She was 19. And get married at 19. That was a big mistake. <laughs> all right, so don't even go there, all right? But we worked it out, you know, and now it's been almost 45 years, so obviously we've worked something out. And um, I... Um, um, pastored in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Can you imagine a Southern California hippie Jesus freak? God sends him to the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And I always have said this. You can travel and minister anywhere in the nation. Then there's Kentucky and Tennessee. And let's throw in a little bit of Ohio. But anyway... Um, I mean, good people, but it's just, I'm from California, man. And God's, I mean, the irony of it. So I endured it and broke and got humbled and did the best I could and pastored just long enough. No, that's not what I was called to do. And so when we were 23 in faith, trust me, in faith, now, let me tell you what in faith means. I go to this Assembly of God. Uh, what do they used to call it when the youth 
came together a little in the middle of the week or something, you know, with the youth, you know. I don't know what they were called. But anyway, and uh, there was a deaf lady. And God opened up her hearing. And it just, they, everybody was shocked. Plus I was too. <laughs> There's only about 30 people, you know. And uh, so the pastor that had brought her, he lived, you know, a couple hours away. He came up to me, had a simply God church, a dear old man. And he, he said, uh, I would love for you to come to our church. Now, I think this is Wednesday night, right? When can we, as soon as possible, when can we get you? I said, how about the Sunday? Because I didn't have any other invitations. That's how I started. And uh, we stayed there three weeks. And heaven came down. And that started now. See, we didn't have the internet and live streaming and all that. I mean, the only way you got another invitation was that pastor called his pastor friend and said, you got to have this guy. So it was tough going. But somehow we worked it out, worked it out, worked it out. And we traveled 12 years. I'm making a point in this opening remark. For 12 years by car, myself, my wife, my son, and eventually my daughter and our dog. And uh, we couldn't afford Pampers, you know. So we had a big bucket in the back of the car with Clorox diaper pail. So it was always my son's job to clean it out. He was just a little, little kid, you know. And so, I mean, you could smell it, you know. And it, trust me, it was not the fragrance of God, you know. And we traveled... In 12 years, 1,270,000 miles all over, everywhere, here in Ohio, everywhere, you know. And uh, we basically, uh, in almost everywhere we went, we introduced the prophetic. And um, I spent 12 years everybody was antagonistically against it. But they'd heard about it. And every time I would hold three or four days meetings, they were looking for me to make a mistake. See, to prove that this isn't of God, he's false. Could you imagine that kind of stress and pressure? Twelve years of that. And Subsequently, since then, it's been the same, basically, but it was very intense, and I was young. And you got to understand, I, I'm from the Jesus movement. I, we had a tremendous, what was called the Second Great Awakening, that hit America about 1968, approximately to about 1976, 1977. And so I was from California, and my whole understanding of Christendom was six-hour miracle services with Catherine Kuhlman. And like I said, then I go to Bible College of Christ for the Nations, meet my wife, we get married, God sticks me in Kentucky just to die, and then... <laughs> 
you know, and then I, you know, gave up pastor and went out to California, and then I had this little gig, you know, and then that's what started our traveling ministry. And uh, it's been an interesting challenge and an interesting life. And uh, I remember in 1976, 1977, see, I was used to revival all in the early 70s. But something changed in 1977. And I couldn't put my finger on it. It was like, it was like God had lifted that sovereignty move of a spirit in a sense. And it was like nothing was really wanting, nothing was happening in the sense that it was just spontaneous, you know, and, and you know, it didn't matter what kind of you know, condition you were in, heart condition, the Spirit of God just fell on everybody, and it was just a real true awakening. The second great awakening. The first great awakening was 1904 in Azusa. And so 1977 bothered me. I said, God, something, you know, so there's a lot of reasons that kind of killed it. Now, how many know God was still moving? But I said, what do I do? Because I'm, you know, I'm used to just standing up behind the pulpit, you know, and then the heaven comes down in glory, and and I begin to operate, and it's just there's just such a freedom, and it's just you know none of these people, of course, you know that I went to were really a part of that great revival, but they were you know um, having me to come just to see if I would bring them a taste of it, and God was very merciful and honored, but all of a sudden in 1977, I said, God, what do I do? And then I remember a scripture came to me when Paul instructed Timothy, preach the word of God. Uh, Preach it in season and out of season. And there are times that we're just in the flow. You know what I'm trying to say? And you preach the word of God, and it's easy, and God's moving. And then there's an out of season. Not saying that God isn't moving individually in people's lives and churches and regions, but there's this out of season type of season. And uh, I said, okay, I'm going to be faithful. What do you want me to preach? What do you want me to teach? And it was like, I begin to study the word, we'll see it in just a moment, concerning um, those that were used as forerunners to prophesy, even though the people of God were in tremendous bondage, God would send forerunners that would say, look, there's going to be a renewal, there's going to be a reviving, there's going to be... Uh, liberty and freedom that's going to come to you. And of course, in the natural, it seemed utterly impossible. And most of the forerunners were not believed upon at all. And um, But that's what I did. I began to study about revival. And so I spent years traveling. And I was a prophetic revivalist. And when I speak of revival, I'm speaking primarily not just an awakening that needs to come to our nation, our region, the world, 
but primarily to the church people. Because in the Old Testament, prophets or forerunners of that you know, proclaimed revival or restoration would come to the people of God. Um, they um, were basically uh, individuals that were calling forth for the, let's call it church people, God's people, to get their hearts right with him. And then in so doing, as the people of God would get their hearts right, it would affect the society or the region around them. Does that make sense? Now, I believe this weekend there is coming to you and I a loving but powerful divine slap of conviction on your spiritual wrist. And it's going to woo you, but it's going to convict you. It's going to be the most loving thing that the Father does for you because he wants you to realize, now hear this, that your life, your lifetime, is the greatest gift that God has ever given you. And what you do with your life is how you say thank you to the Lord. Let me ask you, what have you done with your life? I suspect the greatest spiritual cancer in one's life is regret. We look back and we regret. And as I begin to proclaim and decree uh, as a forerunner, revival is upon us. Revival is coming, awakening. I have spent, Joy and I, the last... 40-some years in traveling ministry. Now hear this. That at least, let's put it in the context of America. America, even though we've had times of refreshing and renewal expressions and this and that, this nation has not experienced a true spiritual awakening since 1974, 75, and 76. So I pondered on that, and just a few months ago, several months ago, this prophet that's gone on to be with the Lord, Jesus supposedly, now this is subjective, you can agree or disagree, I happen to believe in his integrity, so this really happened, came to him and said, I will not be visiting America with an awakening. Now you got to understand, there may be revivings individually and corporately in churches, but an awakening in a nation. Jesus supposedly told this prophet that there will not be an awakening. It was March 11th, 1977, for 40 years. So how, you know, for 40 years or so, Joe and I would travel and we would go all over this nation and countless times overseas, but I mean all over this nation as forerunning. Prepare your heart, prepare ye the way of the Lord, prepare for the coming of the Lord. And I mean, we went year after year. Yes, God was healing, God was delivering, God was moving, God was confirming his word, and we were proclaiming, decreeing, prophesying, but 
as far as a, an awakening and a stirring and a massive revival that I'd experienced in the early 70s in the Jesus movement, our whole ministry has been in an out-of-season period in America. It's completely been forerunning. And then I come to this dynamic church in Columbus, Ohio, March 11th, 2017. I believe the church was called Zion. And many of you may remember, we had our great deliverance conference. Yes. Wasn't that a kick? Awesome. Huh? Yes. Uh, you should have seen you guys. <laughs> and puking everywhere. and It was fun, man. There's some of us that God would have loved those series of meetings. <laughs> and... Uh, but Jesus told this prophet, in 40 years, the shift, there's going to be a shift. And I'm going to begin to prepare and move very quickly upon the hearts of my people and will bring the beginnings of a third great awakening. I'm here, but I wasn't preaching on revival, was I? I was, come out, or come off. Anyway, so two days after I was with you guys, utterly exhausted, I felt icky, I had to take <laughs> 10 showers, and on the Monday night, I was with you Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? So Monday night... I'm laying in bed, and, you know, joy knows no one messes with my feet. You can, no one, no one can touch my feet. You will die, <laughs> literally. You will die. So what, I'm sick. I've got an infected foot. This was before I really got sick. So she's interceding for me. Listen, listen, this feisty little thing here. She started, this was like a year or so earlier. Oh, she uh, was praying, oh God, touch my husband because he has infection in his left foot. Angel, just go there and tickle his foot and wake him up and take him and help him get this infection out of his foot. So you know what? That was like two years earlier. Uh, this... God is my witness. I'm not embellishing. This angel tickled my foot. I jumped out of my bed. All right? But I was crippled. So, but I, I, I got wisdom supernaturally, and all the infection just practically instantaneously left my foot. You know? But he tickled my feet. He took her literally. Nobody touches my feet. And so, uh, <clears throat> two days after I was with you guys, an angel stands at 
foot of my bed. So the first thing I'm thinking, he's going to tickle my feet. <laughs> but he didn't, <laughs> you know. And you say, well, how do you know? Well, I opened up my eyes, I looked up, and there he was standing. <laughs> no, not in my mind's eye, not a person standing there. And it wasn't her. <clears throat> he was prettier. No, she's prettier. They're very handsome. Angels are very handsome. Most of them. But the ones that take on your parents, ooh. But anyway, uh, by the way, this man with this beard, I want it. I'm claiming your beard. That is a God-sent beard that is supposed to come on this face. And I've been claiming it for years. All right? So anyway, the angel spoke to me. Now, there's things that I'm not going to share with you because it's very personal. And why I was kept alive, I died probably close to three times. You know the story. Um, and why I went through that and the difficulties, da-da-da, and some of the things that we're going to begin to see in the next 10 to 12 years. Not saying that after 12 years, Jesus is coming back. It just spoke to me about the 10 or 12 year period for me. And um, But what was conveyed to me all of a sudden, and I did not know this until afterwards about this prophetic prophet that Jesus appeared to, that when I was here, that was the 40 years. And that angel spoke about this church and this meeting on the 11th of March, 2017, that the shift has begun. All right, now that was three years ago, almost. Three years. Well, it's just about three years. Things have been, believe it or not, beginning to move and accelerate. Thank God. I have spent 40 years in an out-of-season era as a forerunner trying to keep everybody encouraged and uplifted and this and that, and more than anything else, that they would understand why they have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I cannot go into some details of specifics that I know that will transpire and has in the past 36 months that was revealed to me. And what will be happening in the next three or four or five years. Okay? But let me tell you, there's the positive in that. There's the negative in the sense that, now, my ultra-dominion people would disagree with this. But as far as I see out in the world, it isn't getting any better. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot. It's just one crisis after another. How many know? You've seen this. Read about it. You, you live on this earth. If it's not earthquakes, it's famines, pestilences, wildfires. So, 
And this angel said, this is going to be consistently exhilarating. But at the same time, I'm going to have a people, God's going to have a people that are going to arise and shine. And the glory will rest upon them. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And so, you know, that's always been the, you know, thought of eschatology from an historicist view is that there is always darkness, but at the same time there is light. Light, darkness, light, darkness, light, darkness. You can read Isaiah 60 and other references. So you need to know and understand that your life is the greatest gift that God's ever given you. And if there's any regret you have, you can change that course. Because, you know, it's like they taught us in Bible college. It's not how you begin, it's how you end. Where the tree falls, that's where it lays. In other words, I like what says in Job, even though your beginnings may be small, in the latter days, there will be a greater acceleration. So I'm claiming that for ourselves, but I'm speaking it as a whole to the body of Christ, as a forerunner. So see, here I am again as a forerunner, but yet I've got this sensing and this knowing. Wow. You know, there is a tremendous change, a shift. That 40-year period is up. This angel affirmed that word to me and then said, now the shift has taken place. This is your part in it, and this is what the people of God are going to entertain. You know, he just elaborated for a few minutes and then just walked away and, and then left it for me to start digging this thing out. And I'm finding now that God is leading me to, in a sense, go back to my youth if it's possible, when I was a forerunning prophetic voice and began to deliver it to the body of Christ in that manner and to prepare you for the way of the Lord and for the coming of the Lord. Amen? And so that's why I ask you, what have you done with your lives? But you know, just as important of a question, what have you done with your lives? What have you done with your faith? How do you know you have the faith of God within you? What have you done with your faith? Let me show you something here. In Hebrews chapter 11, you're all familiar with this, and this is all we're going to turn to, and I'm going to tie this all up. I'm exhorting you more than anything tonight. And then we'll minister as the Holy Spirit wills and directs. Is there any heat turned on in this place? (laughs) I mean, I'm cold in my suit. (laughs) Or y'all are just used to it. What have you done with your lives? What have you done with... Your faith. You know, I read in Hebrews 11, let's just begin to read in verse 32, the whole wonderful 
description of the great patriarchs of faith, men and women, what they accomplished in their lifetime in the faith that God deposited within their hearts. Verse 32 of Hebrews 11. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, of Jepheth, of David, also Samuel and the prophets. Now note this. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. <laughs> These were men and women of faith going through this. Now, bear with me. This is an optimistic message here. Okay. Uh, they were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Think about that. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and torment like I'm wearing tonight. <laughs> of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Now hear what it says in verse 39 and 40. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith. Now these are the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Through the faith of God obtained a tremendous testimony, a good report in their life. But it says right here in verse 39, they did not receive the promise. In other words, they were earnestly looking for the coming of God's kingdom on earth, but they didn't see it in their lifetime. Why? Well, I'm glad you're asking. Verse 40 tells us why. Because God has planned something better for us. That only together with us will they be made perfect or see the completion or the fullness. Hear this, beloved. Hear this. If anything I share with you this weekend, God has planned something better for your life, something better for the church in this hour, and only until we enter into this tremendous shift and enter into what God's prepared and purposed for us to walk through, will they look down and it they will be made perfect that everything that I'd sown, everything that I had gone through, that I set an example to inspire this generation, this generation, we must complete the race. They weren't permitted to cross the spiritual finish line. Do you realize the baton has been handed to us? And we've got to run our leg of the race I mean, what, listen, what, what kind of life should we be living 
knowing what they had to go through for their faith. Now, that shouldn't intimidate you. It should inspire you and I to enter in to those purposes in God. You know, I, over the years, I, I've always thought this. You know, no one can say that the Holy Spirit has come in them and just sit in a church and do nothing. No one can say, I have seen the Lord's beauty and not worship him in a sense of exuberance. It doesn't make sense. But yet, it's like in the world today, we have lost our sense, number one, of identity and who we are in Christ and Christ within us. See, one of the greatest tactics of the enemy, beloved, is to make your existence seem futile, that you can't affect a change in your life your loved ones' lives, in your community, that we can affect a change in the world. I mean, it's the spirit of intimidation. It makes us, you've all sensed it, I've sensed it. It makes us just feel so incredibly unworthy. And yet, yet the Word of God says in Second Chronicles, if my people, everybody say that with me, if my people, that's it, that are called by my name, if my people, that's our identity, we are the people of God. If my people will call upon me, you've got to, number one, find. And this is what I believe God is speaking to the church here. You're going to have the Holy Spirit begin to speak individually and corporately about your identity in Christ, who you are. Because, brethren, if you do anything below what you have been born and created of God to do, you're going to be a bored, frustrated Christian. And that's the problem in the church today. I pray this weekend and the months to follow as we begin to accelerate. Oh, Holy Spirit, restore. Lord, restore that spirit of triumphant living. I'm going to pray this weekend that you will, we're going to start tonight, that you will be baptized in his confidence. Ooh, I like that. You will be bet. That just came. Just, Brother Maloney, that was an awesome statement you just made. Baptized in his confidence. It means you come to a greater understanding and you become reliant and dependent upon your understanding of the depth of God's commitment to you as the people of God. Do not ask me to repeat that. I could not. I'm going to spend the latter of my years a revivalist. Oh, I've taught prophetic apostolic. Yes, my heart's healing, miracles, <laughs> deliverance. 
But there's just something that God... Look, when God... This is just coming to me. When God begins to deal with the affairs of those people out there in the world and all that they're involved in, and how many know it's disgusting? Before he begins to deal with those people, he first goes to his people to see what they're doing. How many know before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, the angels went to Abraham? And the sad thing about it was there wasn't ten righteous people to save those cities. I believe we do have ten righteous peoples. Can you say amen? amen. But you've got to find that sense of knowing that I'm a child of God. I, I'm a woman. I'm a man that you can use in my sphere of influence. <laughs> but you, you see, we look at our inadequacies and this and that. You got to find your identity. It's like Gideon. Gideon. The angel says, Oh, thou mighty man of God, man of war. Are you kidding me? Gideon is hiding behind the threshing floor, threshing wheat, shaken in his boots. In the natural, he didn't look like some mighty man of war, faith and power for the hour. But see, something changed in Gideon. He got that energized word. You know, it's like Moses. It's like Moses um, in his burning bush encounter. The reason why Moses had to have that burning, burning bush encounter was that, Moses, you're going to stand before Pharaoh's court. And the only defense you're going to have is my name. You tell them I am. You talk about in the natural feeling of intimidation. Whoa. But we know what God accomplished. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit in the next following weeks and months, show me in a greater degree, my identity in you. All right? And what is it that you want me to move into? Got to hear an amen? amen? Secondly, you need to be asking God for an understanding of the times. Everybody say that phrase with me. An understanding of the times. Listen, brethren. You are to be a happening in the end times. The end times are not to be a happening to you. Yeah, you know, I love, you know, people quote the scripture, where's that? Matthew um, 24, verse 13. He that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. And they always interpret that, oh, you're barely going to make it, you know, we're going to go through tribulation upon tribulation, but, you know, you'll just bear, you know, he that endures unto the end, it's a miserable life, but if you endure unto the end, you'll, you'll be saved. That's not what it's really saying. If you read it in the original Greek, it means this, he or she that makes a stand. 
to the end shall be saved. There's a little bit of a difference there. Hello? You're not to be a, a, a victim. Thirdly, my last point, and let's pray for this. Lord, I'm asking this. Give me a greater understanding of the precious unction, the anointing that abides when within us. Each and every one of us. Listen, you know what makes us different than any other cult, any other religion out there? His presence. His anointing. See, the anointing makes you a catalyst for power. You say, what's the word catalyst means? I'm glad you're asking. The word catalyst means an element, that's you, tell the person next to you, say, he's talking about you. He's talking about me. An element that changes everything around it without its Self undergoing change. You want me to repeat that? The word catalyst means an element that changes everything around it, but it and of itself does not go through a change. They're unaffected. You may be in this world, but you're not of it. You make a stand on it. What else are we going to do? We've got to make a stand then you will have everything that God and his arsenal for you and I to overcome in these end times. And set an example as sons of God shining in a crooked and perverse world. That's what makes us unique. Why do you think you're charismatic? You're supposed to be different. Hello? Come on now. We're to be world changers. Fire starters. For confrontation. I'm sorry, but that's just what it is. Confrontation. Confrontation. I'll give you a quick illustration, real quick. First Samuel chapter 5. You'll have to turn there. Remember, God has planned something better for you and I. That only until we enter into and fulfill what God is destined for us to fulfill in this generation will everyone else of what they've gone through be made perfect or complete. I don't know if the ends of the world have come to this generation. Possibly so. I know some things that I'm not permitted. No, the angel forbade me. My wife doesn't even know. But at the appointed time, I will share. It encouraged me because, you know, I thought I was dying. My, I was, I, you know, this is it. I'm, it's finished. You know, but then I'm still here. 
life. Man, I could have had that half a million dollar life insurance policy. Are you still glad I'm here? Are you? I, I, I hope so. I, you know. <clears throat> Let me give you a real quick illustration. We'll be finishing up. Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant was stolen? Okay, the Ark of the Covenant represents this. God's people in any given time of history that represent him, we are the Ark of the Covenant. Dagon. Or Dagon, really. Dagon. So the Ark was stolen, right? You remember that? And put into a temple with an idol, a fish idol. They worship fish. Like the Egyptians worship frogs. You see, God believes in giving you what you want to worship. You want to worship frogs? I'll give you frogs, Egyptians, right up to your elbow. You worship me, you get me. Man, I thought I'd have you standing, shouting, hooping, hollering. I guess it's just too cold in here. I don't know. No, I feel the heat. And I like to spiritualize it and say it's the Holy Spirit. No, it's just that they turn the heat up. You know. Now, the ark... The anointed ones, the anointing, was stolen. How stupid, how stupid can a group of people be? Number one, you don't steal the Ark of the Covenant. Number two, you don't put it in a temple with an idol. How many know that's a volatile con? combination. How many know that? And how many know that will bring the judgment of God? And I can't think of any sore judgment that when they stole the ark, threw it into the temple of Dagon, God struck them. I love the way it's worded in the King James. Emeroids in the secret parts. Whoa! You know, the worst thing about it, they didn't have Preparation H. I'm telling you, man, it was tough. <laughs> I, woo, what a judgment. My, my. No, I'm serious. I mean, really, really. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it, you can read it. 1 Samuel chapter 5. Ow! I said, ow. <laughs> See, I believe Dagon represents our secular humanistic society that we have to live in. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's anointed people. Once you recognize you're the anointed of God, did you hear that? That you're the anointed ones. If this secular, humanistic America tries to put you in a temple with an idol, everybody look at me. God will knock this nation down. 
You cannot touch God's anointed and get away with it. You ask Pharaoh. Pharaoh's combing his hair in the mirror, putting on his best suit. He's looking at Sarah. Oh, I want Sarah, Abraham's wife. I'm going to wine and dine her. I want her. She's gorgeous, you know. And all of a sudden, read it. The word of the Lord comes to him. 1 Kings 20. Pharaoh, how would you like to stay alive? Now, how many now? If I got a word from God like that, I, I think I'd want to listen. You touch Sarah, you are going to die. You can't touch God's anointed. This America better quit messing up. Yeah, but we got Trump. He's our savior. Oh, God, people. He's, he's the, you know, Cyrus, like Cyrus the Great. I want to puke over that statement. Now, I, I voted for Trump, and I pray for my president. I wish he'd keep his mouth shut. And I'll probably have to vote for him again because Hillary will puff her head up for something and say, you know, vote for me. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not going to get into politics. No, I'm getting past that. I'm going to go past that because this is what I want to encourage you in tonight. Many times, listen, God forces society to arrange itself around God's purposes and God's people. You've got to understand that. When we recognize our identity, have a faith towards him. And, but that also tells me something, too. It's frightening to call America a Christian nation, which I don't think we are anymore. But it, for decades, it's frightening to call America a Christian nation. Because you know what that tells me? Maybe all of the tensions, the inflation, the trouble, the immorality may not be just because of the sins of the people in society that are blinded, that don't know any different. But it may be because of a backslidden, rebellious, hard hearted church that refuses to repent of her secret sins. I hate the thought that I could be the cause for some of this mess. Remember, it only takes a handful of people to change a nation. Gideon did not need thousands. Read in 1 Samuel 14, 30. It doesn't take thousands to slay thousands. Just the right amount of people, a core group of 300. 
Those are the catalyst. And if you don't think our sins, church, can cause some of the stuff that's going on in this nation, you ask Jonah. My last illustration, Jonah. You remember Jonah. He wakes up one morning, fishing resort brochures are on his dresser. He's confessed, I'm going to encounter the biggest fish. When I encounter that fish, I'm going to catch it. It's going to be awesome. God's word comes to him, says, Jonah, don't go to Tarsus, go to Nineveh and preach to them. Call them to repent. No way, Lord. I'm retired. I'm going to fishing. So he fled from the presence of God. You remember that? He's, listen, listen to this. Listen. He's out on a ship. You know the story. And this storm comes down on the ship. And the ship captain comes out. Now the ship captain knows he's a sinner. And all of his mates are sinners. But not that kind of a sinner to bring this kind of a storm on this ship. So he's looking around for the culprit. Who's the one that's causing the storm? And he looks at Jonah and rebukes Jonah. You're the reason why the storm is coming. You're so rebellious against God. You're jeopardizing all of us. Let me ask you something. Whose sin caused the storm? A backslidden Christian. So you know what they did? They threw him to Jaws. Now, how do you change a Nineveh? How do you change a Nineveh? How do you change a Columbus? How do you change America? Okay, I'll tell you how. You're asking. You've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. God if need be, will make us peculiar. Now, all, many of you already fit that bill in the natural. <laughs> I'm speaking spiritually here. God makes us peculiar to make it graphic, to bring the needed impact in a city like Nineveh. So what do you mean, Brother Malloy? What do you think Jonah must have looked like after three days and three nights in the stomach dyed juices of jaws, let alone smell. So he gets burped out on the beach. All these fish worshiping Yahoos. Envision this. In the stomach dyed juices of this fish, I, I, I would suspect that. Most of his clothing was all just, nah. he probably didn't have a stitch of hair on the top of his head. No eyebrows, no hair at all. I mean, he looked like some albino raisin. I mean, he made E.T. look tolerable. <laughs> and he comes up to you. And says, repent. Wouldn't you? 
this has got to be God. Look at this guy. Smell, I mean, he's weird. He's peculiar. I mean, look. See, this is the problem in the church. We, we want to reach people respectively, 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 respectively. You know, we want the anointing to be respectable. Don't we? Don't we? You know, come on. And many times, it's at the expense of it. So he has to hike almost 800 miles to Nineveh, looking like that, smelling like that. And everywhere he went, everybody's just turning to God. It was a sign that made everybody wonder. Tell the, look at the person to your left or to your right and say, you are a sign that makes me wonder. <laughs> I... I want an awakening. How about you? My proclamation decree to you tonight. Oh, let's wake up, Jonas. Just, let's get that understanding of our identity, the times we live in, the anointing. God has planned something better for you and I. We've come into it now. It's shifting. It's changing. I don't know what that means, if it's 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but I know this. I'll, I'll share this with you, what the angel told me. He said, in the eyes of God the Father, this generation now is just as evil as in Jesus' day when he walked the earth. Now, Jesus himself said, this is the most evil generation that ever lived. You want to know why it's in God's sight just as evil now as back then? Of course, we look at back in history past, the barbarianism and everything like that. We're more civil. That's the problem. That's good, but that's bad. We're more civil, more illuminated. And yet... Young men are confused that they're supposed to be a man or a woman. Or young ladies. I can solve that for you. Look down. <laughs> I can't smile anymore. This doesn't lift up. So if I think I say something funny, just I'll do this. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm just saying, you know, Joy and I, we're in Bible college. We're going to begin to minister. And Joy and I were in Bible college. And the first speaker, the first speaker, he was all four, five foot nothing. Do you remember, uh, some of you might remember, you remember the little rascals? I mean, the, you remember the, the little boy that had the king's crown? I mean, go on YouTube, okay? You, know, you millennials and Zs and Xs and Ys or whatever they call you. Well, he, he was a child actor. 
Well, he, this, you know, he was the freckly guy. Let's face it, ugly kid. But that's what they liked about him. So later on in his life, he gets saved. He gets spirit-filled. He gets called into the ministry. Now, he has a third-grade education, but God called him to preach. He couldn't even read. He never learned to read, did he? So you know what he did? He opened up the Bible, and I think it was in a month's time, he, read, he learned how to read by reading the entire Bible through. Think about that. Not only that, the Holy Spirit gave him a photographic memory. Any page of the Bible, he saw it right in front of him. He could just quote it. So, you know, he's our first speaker for two weeks. He comes out, and his name is Holy Hubert Lindsay. And he comes out. This is no embellishment. He's got a red sock and a green sock. Am I correct? Green pants, blue shirt, brown something. Nothing matched. Every hair was in a thousand different directions. Red head, just sticking up everywhere. Big old freckles. I mean, his whole face was covered with freckles. Let's just say he was not a Brad Pitt. And he was called to go to the radical campuses in the 60s up in Berkeley. And he built his little wooden platform, a true apostle, built his little wooden platform, get his little microphone, you remember the little square, you know, amplifiers. And all these Black Panthers, radicals, everybody out on the lawn would jeer him and just spit at him. And he was, I mean, he preached, and he did not preach about the love of Jesus. He, I'm serious. He preached hell, fire, and brimstone. His first statement would be You're all a bunch of snakes and vipers. You deserve hell. But then he would preach about Jesus Christ. And they would, he was beaten up 14 times. Lost his front, all his teeth. After the four, you know, fifth or sixth time, he just forgot it and just didn't have any teeth up there, you know? So there's about 5,000 people at Berkeley. And the Black Panthers were there and everything, and they were just mocking him, and he's preaching hellfire and brimstone. He had an incredible word of wisdom. All the professors would give him these incredibly difficult questions that no one could answer. If you had 10 PhDs, you could not answer. But God gave him the wisdom to answer them, and it was so dynamically correct and so simple that it shut the mouths of all of the radical, you know, teachers and professors. I went with him. University of Texas, Arlington. Think about this. About 50 of us. 
And he gets up on this high concrete wall. He stands up there. I'm right next to him. Here's the commons outside where they were eating lunch, about 600 students. And he just starts preaching. You're a bunch of snakes. You're fornicators. You're liars. You're going to hell unless you give your life to Jesus. I mean, you know, read the book of Jude. Some lead people out of compassion into the kingdom, and some hellfire and brimstone, you know. And he's just pretty, well, you know, the dean of women, I think she is a woman, came out, and right in front of him, got up into her, his face and said, how dare you tell us? I'm standing right there, people. Tell us that there's a God we got to worship. There's no other God but us. We are the gods. And you know what he did? I, 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 can I say this? Shut up, whore. I, is that kosher? Can a preacher say that? And he got first names and last names of everyone that she was sleeping with. Six of them dropped her head. You, the fear of God came on those students. This is what he, he would... You talk about reading your mail. Man. So he's after preaching to 5,000. 22-year-old student says, how dare. If there is a God in heaven, I dare him to strike me down. Brother Lindsay said, son, if you don't repent right now, you won't take five steps without dropping down dead with a heart attack. They jeered him, screaming, laughing. And all 5,000, one big exaggerated steps. Two, when he hit step five, he fell down dead with a heart attack. And all 5,000 people got on their knees, cried out for mercy. Wouldn't you? The reason why I bring up about Holy Hewitt Lindsay, you talking about funky, different, a sign that made you wonder. The ugliest man that ever walked probably this planet. No front teeth. We students, we wouldn't sit after the first session in the middle because he spit on everybody because he had no front teeth. So we had to sit, sit to the side because <laughs> we didn't get spit on. Serious. So some of those hippies, they got saved. We've got to... Oh if, oh, if our hippie friends down in Costa Mesa, California, Southern California, this is Northern California, we've we got we to jump in our hippie bus. Remember the hippie bus, you know, VW hippie buses? we got to get down there and tell them if they don't repent of their drugs and, you know, womanizing this and that, uh, they're going to die and go to hell. So about 10 of them, they got into this hippie bus, 
drove the 500 miles to Costa Mesa, California. Well, there was a preacher there, a pastor, been there for years, dear man named Chuck Smith. He was saying, God, I don't understand it's Saturday night. I'm in a metropolitan area of 12 million people, and I have a 40-member church. I don't understand it. And God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to him and said, Will you accept them? I see he was a traditional Pentecostal church. None of the traditional Pentecostal churches allowed the stinking hippies into their service. They ushered them out because they hadn't bathed in a year. They wouldn't sit in a pew. They sat on the carpet. Afterwards, they soiled the carpet where they sat. So none of the traditional Pentecostal churches even opened up, not hardly any of them to the hippies. So God spoke to him and said, will you accept them no matter what they look like, how they dress, or how they smell? Absolutely, Lord. So these hippies got their hippies. They said, you got to get saved. We don't know how to lead you to the Lord. Well, there's this church right down here. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning, 40, 50 of them arrive into Chuck Smith's church. They wouldn't sit in the pew. They sat on the carpet, ruined the carpet. The elders, they were so ticked. They had just put down the brand new carpet. They soiled the carpet, ruined it. Chuck Smith said this, if the carpet is in the way, roll it up. We'll meet on concrete. Two weeks later, I was there. on that concrete, 15 and a half. I was one of the original 125 hippies. Now, I'd taken baths and <laughs> sort of. But anyway, I, I wasn't in drugs or anything like that, but, you know, I, I was part of them. Lonnie Frisbee, I, was, I, I remember them. I was there. He rolled up the carpet. That person called Holy Hubert, that peculiar-looking present-day Jonah, started the second great awakening. The Jesus movement. Not Lonnie Frisbee. Oh, he was a great part in it. Hubert Lindsay. Oh, we need more Hubert Lindsays. Come on now. We just need to be open. Lord, I'm not advocating fanaticism and excess and wildfire. and I know things are to be done decently and in order, but how many know your definition of what it means to be done decently and in order, and God's may not be the same. I was there when us hippies, about a week and a half later after these, on that concrete, you can see it on YouTube, I was standing right next to the cameraman, right kind of behind him. You know who that cameraman 
is today Heidi Baker's husband. I didn't you know they hadn't met yet. And all of a sudden, we're standing, about a hundred and some, Lonnie Frisbee, just study it, hippie, got saved near my hometown, stands up, says, Holy Spirit, come. We're on the floor for three hours. I was there. And then God launches Joy and I into a ministry in that era of out of season for 40 some years. Nobody was seeing healings, miracles, really. There was definitely no personal prophesying, and there was definitely no demons coming out of people. Night after night after night. So finally at 64. Wow. The shift is upon us. You must recognize and be baptized into God's confidence. Uh, listen to me. Many of you are sitting there. You're disillusioned. Don't you think I got disillusioned? Wondering why God wasn't healing me in the way I wanted him to heal me. Though he was healing why was it progressive rather than instantaneous? Why did it happen in the first place? <coughs> this and that, back and forth. Oh. And then I get on the other side, and now I see, now I perceive. That everything, possibly the consummation of all things, have come to this generation or your children's generation or your grandchildren's generation. This is speculation. It's not a word of the Lord. But I personally, this is just, I could be wrong. But I personally sense in my spirit that my grandchildren will not have to taste death. Look how it has digressed just in five to seven years in America. Am I correct? not to discourage you. It's a sign to show you that where sin abounds, grace doth more will abound. Where there's deep darkness, there's going to be great light, but it's got to be upon the people of identity, the people of passion, the people that just will rise up and make a stand. Oh God, I want that confidence. And you know what? I know there's many of you that have come here expecting healings and miracles, and they're going to come. I, I'm believing that. Well, let me 
tell you this. I was the first prophetic voice in 1991 to go to the former Soviet Union. And prophesy. I didn't even know what it was. Just January. We saw and experienced one of the greatest spiritual awakenings I have seen in 40 some years. Hundreds and hundreds of God's people in Russia. My prayer is this. Come on, pray with me right now. My prayer is God, don't let America miss their day of visitation. Please. Have mercy, Lord. You have your remnant right here and many other churches. You have your people. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then shall I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. This is why churches of this nature are established in communities. Uncompromising in the anointing, the presence of God, praise, worship, freedom, liberty. You know how many charismatic churches are regressing back They're leaving the tenets of charismatism. What I mean by that is that they may speak in tongues, but they don't want loud praise. They don't want worship. They don't want dancing. They don't want the shout. They don't want the shofar. They don't want freedom. They don't want per personal words. They don't want deliverance. They don't, you know, all we want healing. That will not happen to this church. Why? Because Jim Baker was marked as a student. And I laid hands on that little feisty, smart aleck <laughs> at that time. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Do you know what? I want to impart this weekend. I want to impart. I want to start it tonight. Oh, yes, I will move prophetically. I can see through these sunglasses. <laughs> Trust me. Yes. Words of knowledge will come forth. Yes. Healing. Yes. Going to start right now. We're not going to have you late every evening, but I'm going to tell you this: I need to lay a foundation for this weekend. I took a little bit more time. 
I won't take that time tomorrow night nor Sunday morning and with the students Sunday night. You know what I'm asking God for? Come on, everybody, just agree with me in this. Baptize me, Lord, in a greater degree or level of your confidence. Come on, do it right now. Just ask him that. Baptize me. Many of you precious men and women, come on. You, you know, you've just, you've gone through the fire. But you know what? You didn't burn. You didn't burn up. You've gone through the water, but you didn't drown. It's like the three Hebrew children thrown in the fiery furnace. It says their hair was not singed. Their coat was not burned, but this is what it also says. Neither was there a smell of smoke on their garments. But you know what, people? I smell a smoke, of gar- smoke on the garments of God's people in the church. We've been disillusioned. We've believed for healings that haven't happened. We've believed for breakthroughs that haven't happened. We have stood. We have read the books, listened to the tapes. I'm not here to sell more books to you. Forerunners never sell as many books as others. Forerunners for revival. They don't sell as many books and tapes. It's the people that I love, one author that's written over 50, almost 60 books. Every book that this author has written is only about what God can do for you if you give your life to him. Every single book. It's made this person worth 300 million net. I'm thinking, I'm the truth that this person has taught, I'm not saying there isn't truth in it and it's helped people, but I'm just saying every book, what, 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 where, where is it? What can I do for you, God? What can I do for you? I've been created for your pleasure, not just what you can do for me. I'm a forerunner. This church, in a sense, is forerunning. Let's embrace the change. Let's embrace the baptism of fire. Fire. Ever say fire? Your fire lighters. Your fire. Fire. Oh, they didn't tell me that in the Jesus movement. They told me when you receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, life is going to be like a laying on a bed of roses. Yeah, that lasted all of three days for me. You want to know what my evidence that I'd received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, aside from speaking in tongues, trouble. All hell broke loose.
you know, the average Christian, the devil kind of leaves them alone. They're not really a threat. But people like you and I that rise up on the inside and make a stand, but how many know? Greater is he that's within us. What I want to do tonight, for those of you, now listen, you respond to this. It doesn't mean when you come, you're unspiritual and you got issues in your life. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means you're mixing what you're hearing with faith and you're saying, Holy Spirit, I want to be your ark of your presence. I want it that everywhere I go, that people when I leave will take knowledge that they've been in the presence of the Lord. You want that? There's something in a breaker anointing that I could only by an only as an empty vessel release that kind of fire, heaven fire. I like it, heaven fire. How many of you want some more heaven fire? Yeah. <laughs>